the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. God is not done with the Jewish people, and God is not done with the nation of Israel. And in fact, it tells us in the future holy city that the gates will be named with the 12 tribes of Israel, and the foundations of the wall will be named with the 12 apostles. So, you know, God is uh, keeping history intact as we go forward into the future. Uh, This is our, our future that God is telling us about, that our hearts would be prepared and be joyful as we look forward with anticipation of the things that are in store for us. Amen. Whether you view yourself as a religious person or not, most of us can agree that the story of Israel is extremely unique. It's endured so much pain in its short history and is even under scrutiny in our current society. In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that Israel will always be a part of God's plans for the future, but it also represents how you or anyone else can inherit God's kingdom when you never give up on His divine plan for your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 21 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. That's a description that John gives this new city because it's so beautiful. It's with anticipation and the beauty of like how a bride gets all prepped and beautified and ready for that wonderful, you know, wedding day. And, you know, I just, I just remember like it was yesterday. I can remember yesterday standing at the altar and, and Terry was being walked down the back of the church arm in arm with her dad. And I can remember like it was yesterday just seeing her come around the corner of the back there and standing at the back of the aisle. And I just thought, how beautiful, all dressed up, how beautiful. And then the second thought was, what am I doing? I have no idea. One of those mixed moments of joy and freaking out all at the same time. And John describes this city like a beautiful bride prepared, adorned for her husband. So I'm going to summarize with you as we go through here, chapter 21. I'm going to summarize with you things that, that uh, will be there and things that won't be there. And some of the things that describe this new, this new ultimate home for us. And so um, let's just go a few things uh, through a few things here. And, and I'm going to give them to you in sections uh, so that you can take notes instead of one at a time. But one of the first things that we see here, obviously, is that God will be present because he tells us in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. Now, the word tabernacle there uh, in verse three 
is the same word used in John 1.14 when it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Some translations say, and tabernacled among us. It's the same word that is used there in John 1.14 as is used here in Revelation 21.3. And the idea is in John 1.14, the word became flesh, God became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. That's the idea of what is going to be like in the new heaven. When, when the Lord is just going to be dwelling with us, living among us, walking among us. I mean, this is Jesus. This is a description of Jesus, just his presence with us continually in in the place where we are ultimately going to live here. And and it tells us in in verse 4, number 2 on our list, that death, pain, and all our sorrows will be absent. Now, I do believe this answers the question that many people have. I've been asked this multiple times over the years. Will I know if my loved one is missing who didn't receive Christ as their Savior? And my answer to that is this verse. You know, sometimes uh, memory is a wonderful thing, and sometimes memory is a terrible thing. There's some, you don't have to raise your hands, but there's some things you wish you could forget, right? And, um, and, and so memory is a wonderful thing, and, and we know how devastating, those of you who have, you know, have loved ones who have been hit with Alzheimer's or dementia, and you watch them you know, slowly fade away, and they, and they lose their memory, that can be s- such a horrible thing to watch, and, and no doubt to happen to an individual. But in some ways, having no memory about painful things is a wonderful thing. And when there's no pain and there's no sorrow and there's no suffering and there's no crying in heaven, I think God in his mercy takes away any memories in our minds that would be hurtful or painful or sorrowful. And so I don't think you're going to know who's missing. You know, you and I are going to be so overwhelmed that we're in the presence of the Lord that the memories of the painful, uh, regrettable, shameful, sinful, uh, grievous things we just, we're not going to have. It, it's just going to be taken away. He's making everything new. And so that's good also for those of you who continually punish yourself for your past. Even though you know Christ has forgiven you, you're harder on yourself than Jesus is. You know, Jesus forgives and you don't forgive yourself. And, and so sometimes you torment yourself with your own painful memories. Well, I have good news for you. When you get to heaven, you ain't going to remember that stuff anymore. So if you think that you, you know, it's okay to torment yourself now by revisiting your past, which it, it isn't okay, I have good news for you. You won't even remember it when you get into the presence of the Lord. You're going to finally be set free from the shame and the torment of your own past. Because when we get to heaven, death is gone, pain is gone, all our sorrows will be absent. No more suffering, no more pain. Now, it's interesting, though, it tells us there um, in verse uh, for that, that God will wipe away uh, all our tears from our eyes. And, and then he adds, and there will be no more death or sorrow or, or crying. So, so why are we crying to begin with? You know, I mean, it, it, the verse does start out by saying he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And, and so I, I have to imagine that this is a different kind of, of crying. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you're finally so relieved and you've just been exhausted, you know, getting there that when you finally get to that place, you just are overwhelmed with emotion? I think it's going to be something like that. We're finally going to be in the presence of the Lord and, and everything we've been through in our lives and, and all of that, that, that we've endured and, and it finally comes to ultimate fruition and we're just overwhelmed with emotion. I don't think these are necessarily sorrowful tears. These are tears of relief. These are tears of like, finally, it's here. But yet, it's this beautiful picture of Jesus still wiping away every tear. Okay, all right, you're finally here. All right, you're relieved. No more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more regrets, no more shame. The former things, notice the end of verse 4, the former things have passed away. It's done. Behold, he makes all things new. That's verse 5. He makes everything new. That's the third thing on our list. He who sat at the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So everything brand new. This is not, you know, earth, you know, a makeover. This is not, you know, heaven, you know, fixer-upper. This is, this is everything is completely brand new. Fresh slate, brand new beginning, old earth gone Old heaven gone, this is a new heaven, new earth, and this new beautiful city, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Number four in our list, it tells us, of course, here that believers will be present in in verse seven. He says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Again, that's a generic term. It's, It's including sons and daughters, but believers are the ones who will be present. Now, I get this question also a lot. When we all get to heaven, will we still be our own age? Will be different, you know, ages in heaven? And so the Bible's kind of silent on this, but it, it would appear that we're going to be some kind of universal age. You know, it's not going to be like, you know, there's feeble people walking around with walkers. You know, you're going to get a, rege- a, a glorified body. You're going, to, you're going to have a glorified body like Jesus. And with a glorified body means and with a no more suffering and no more dying and no more pain and all of that. So it's going to be longevity. It's, it's like time ceases to be. You're in the presence of the Lord. And there are some who believe that there's going to be this universal age of 30. Now, why 30? In Numbers chapter 4, you could not enter priestly service until you were age 30. And by the way, in Numbers chapter 4, it also tells us that mandatory retirement for the priest was age 50. So I, I got to go. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, age 30. And then when Saul became the first king of Israel, he was 30. When David became king of Israel, he was 30. When Jesus' public ministry began, which was typical of a rabbi, it was 30. So, there is, it, it's thought that there will be this universal age. You have to consider, when Adam was created, Adam was not created as a baby. He wasn't in Huggies. He was created as an adult man. And at what age was Adam created? Again, your, your Jewish rabbis would, would say that he was created at the age of 30. There could be this universal age in heaven. Now, universal age in heaven being 30, that's good for those of you who are like 70. For those of you who are like 16, bummer. You know what I'm saying to you? <laughs> But, you know, it is what it is. Then I get this other question. What about little kids? Will, will the little kids still be little, or will they automatically be a universal age, you know, with me? And so all of this is unknown. This is all speculative. The Bible doesn't speak about this kind of a thing in terms of how old will people be, uh, in, in terms of their appearance. There won't be aging in heaven. 
but you know what will be the appearance? I heard one guy who, um, and I think this this could be possible. You know, wouldn't it be in the mercy of God to allow us to, when we get to heaven, to see any any child who has died at a young age at that child at that age, and then God allows us to watch him or her grow up to be thirty, and then no more, no no further aging. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to think about, um, but it's all speculation at this point because we we just aren't told. But the good news is believers will be present in heaven. The sad news is, but the reality based on their choices is that number five on our list, unbelievers will be absent. If you look at verse eight, it says, but the cowardly unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If you also notice the last verse of this chapter, verse 27, it says, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So again, this is a reminder to us that believers will be present, but unbelievers will be absent. The next uh, section of uh, points that come from this chapter is between verses 9 through 14. So let me read verses 9 through 14. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride the lamb's wife, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall without, or rather with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So interesting stuff here. Uh, point number six on our list is that there's no sun or moon. No sun or moon will be present, but the light will be bright with God's glory. This is what verse 11 tells us, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone. Very brilliant, very bright this city will be. And if you jump uh, further to verse 23, Uh, It says, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Now, uh, some Bible scholars look at the word uh, need in verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. And some will say, well, there probably still will be a sun or a moon. There just won't be a need for it because the brilliance of the light will emanate from the glory of God. Um, My take is, if you don't need it, then why is it there? So I lean towards the interpretation that there will be no sun or moon if it's not needed anyway, because the brilliance of the Lord's glory will illuminate the whole city. Now, consider what this means. This means that there's no nighttime. Now again, we, you know, we think very cyclically because we have this 24 hour day cycle. And so, you know, we get up in the morning, we go to bed at night and, but you have to, you have to imagine now there's no nighttime. And, there's no nighttime, but there's no need for nighttime because you don't need to go to bed and you won't be going to sleep anymore. You don't need to sleep. The reason we need to sleep now is because our body needs to rejuvenate. 
and, and sleep is a wonderful healing process. But when, when you're in the presence of the Lord and there's no night and you have a glorified body, you don't need to go to bed. You don't need to rejuvenate yourself. I mean, this is totally mind-blowing when you begin to think about how different things will be. Wonderfully different, uh, beautifully different, marvelously different. Uh, but, you know, there won't be these sleep cycles anymore and, you know, sleep deprivation and, and all of that because there's no nighttime. Uh, no one needs to sleep anymore. You know, Frank Sinatra had that hit song years ago about New York City, the city that never sleeps. Well, this is going to be the real city that never, that never sleeps, the new Jerusalem, because there's, there's no nighttime. Uh, there will be no need for any of that. This, and, you know, and think about how it also means that there's going to be this constant regulated temperature. Because right, without, without the sun, you know, part of the purpose of the sun is not to only to bring light to the, to the earth, but also to heat the earth. Well, when you have no sun anymore, that means perfect temperature regulation. Isn't that wonderful? No more husbands and wives fighting over the thermostat. Turn it up, turn it down, turn it up, turn it down. There's not going to be any of that. Jesus is going to have his hand on the thermostat and everybody's going to be happy. Perfectly, you know, moderated temperature. Think about right now with the moon. You know, part of the moon's gravitational pull regulates the ocean tides. No problem not having a moon anymore because it it tells us in verse 1, we just read it, there's no sea anymore. There's no sea on this new earth. Now, right now, you know, the earth's surface is about 74% of the earth's surface is covered by water. But in the new earth... There will be no sea. Now, there's going to be a freshwater river. That's chapter 22. There's no sea. Now, for all of you beach lovers, <laughs> sorry, you know, no beach because there's no sea. But again, you're not going to care. Some of you right now are thinking, oh, no, no more beach. Well, how am I going to lay out? <laughs> well, there won't be any sun. You don't need to lay out anyway. And you won't need any sunscreen either. You're going to get a tan just being around Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying to you? And so, but, but the idea is everything that you love now will be that much better there. So the things you're thinking, well, we won't have this anymore. We won't have that anymore. You, you won't need that anymore. And so you won't even desire it anymore because your desire will be totally focused on the Lord. And things in this new heaven, which is literally on earth, you know, talking about heaven on earth, it's literally going to be heaven on earth, this new, beautiful, heavenly city of Jerusalem on earth. But it's, it's going to be such a wonderful heaven on earth experience that some of the things you think you might miss here, you won't miss there. It's going to be so new and so incredible that it's going to be anything that far exceeds what we experience now. Number seven on our list tells us that the wall will be high and wide with 12 gates of pearl. If you look at verse 12, in verse 12, and also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Now, this is interesting. Verse 13 says three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. When you look into your Old Testament and you see the configuration of the the, the encampment of Israel, particularly when they were moving uh, out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land, uh, in the book of Numbers, it lays out for us the configuration of the different tribes. And, and here is how the tribes of Israel were encamped, and it was specific by God's instruction. And so you have here the 12 tribes of Israel. And I bring this up because it tells us there uh, in verse 13 that on these gates are written the 12 tribes of Israel. And I wonder, don't know this for sure, but I wonder if the gates 
will have the names of the tribes that are identical to the encampment configuration. And if that's the case, because it does tell us specifically in the text that there's three gates on the east, three in the south, three on the north, three on the west, then it might end up looking like this. You're going to have the gate with the names Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun on the east side of the city. On the south side of the city, you're going to have gates that are named Gad, Simeon, and Reuben. On the west side of the city, you're going to have gates named Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And then on the north side of the gate of the, of the city, those gates might be named Naphtali, Asher, and Dan. And so if, in fact, um, the, the gates are named out of, after the 12 tribes of Israel consistent with the encampment, and the Bible says when they would um, encamp at night, then those might very well be the names on those gates. Uh, but back here in our text... It tells us also in verse 21, check this out. In verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. That's a big gate. That's a big oyster too, by the way. But one single gate is one single incredible pearl. So when, you know, when people talk about the pearly gates, I don't know what you had in mind when people, you know, talk about the pearly gates. They are actually gates of pearl, and each gate is a huge single pearl. And again, you have 12 of these, three on each side of the city. And um, it it tells us also that um, the, in verse 17, it tells us that then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of man, that is of an angel. So 144 cubits is approximately 200 feet. So what it's telling us is that these walls are approximately 200 feet thick, and each of the gates within the walls are a single pearl. So very fascinating. The wall will be high and wide with 12 gates of pearl. By the way, God's not opposed to a wall. Just thought I'd throw that out there. And, and you, you got to also consider, why does the city need a wall? There are no enemies. There's nobody to keep out. You know, it, walls just sometimes define things. Walls just sometimes are a picture of safety. They, they define the city. There's no need for a wall in the sense that we would think of walls. But I just thought I'd throw out there in the new city, God's got high and thick walls, and he's not opposed to walls. Like, you know, that's, that's so inhumane of God. No, it's just, it's just a wall. All right. Let's get to at least number eight, and then we'll have another town hall about all that. All right. Number eight on our list is the foundation will be deep with 12 layers. Uh, verse 14, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay, the Lamb is the title that Jesus uses most than any other title through the book of Revelation, like 26 times. So it's a reference to Jesus. He is the Lamb. Who are the 12 apostles? So the foundation of these walls are 12 layers, and each layer has a name of one of the 12 apostles. Now the question then becomes, well, certainly Judas's name isn't on there. So then there's a speculation, well, okay, so we have the 11. Well, who's the 12th? And some say, well, probably the Apostle Paul. Um, and so their names are going to be etched in the foundation. So, you know, it's interesting to think, be that as it may, we have to remember that there's still a significant role that Jewish history plays even into prophetic future. 
You know, if for people to, to say, well, you know, God's done with Israel and, and, you know, the Jewish people had their chance. I mean, that isn't, that isn't accurate. Then that isn't true. Um, God is not done with the Jewish people and God is not done with the nation of Israel. And in fact, it tells us in the future holy city that the gates will be named with the 12 tribes of Israel and the foundations of the wall will be named with the 12 apostles. So, you know, God is uh, keeping history intact as we go forward into the future. Uh, this is our, our future that God is telling us about, that our hearts would be prepared and be joyful as we look forward with anticipation of the things that are in store for us. Amen. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more. Right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.